Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is a new member of the Food & Wine family, Uh, one of the people behind the incredible Ada in, uh, am I saying that right, Ada? (laughs) Ada. Ada in uh, Long Island City. Welcome, Chintan Pandya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I just... This has been a really great year for you <laughs> with all the accolades. It's, it's, it's been a dream run. We are still living in that uh, dream. <laughs> we are just pinching ourselves every day to, uh, you know, be realizing that how grateful everything has been for us. We are grateful to all the customers who have been coming and supporting <laughs> us, all the guests and all the people from the industry. Well, I mean, just this morning, you won a fried chicken award, I believe. Uh, it was a few days back last okay. week. and uh, I think I saw it on your Instagram just now. Yeah, I think yeah. so it was just posted on Instagram account <laughs> today. Uh, so... Uh, it was, I think it was uh, by uh, a magazine about top 10 fried chickens in the kind of yeah. city. And we were number three over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you've been getting accolades like crazy. I mean, Food and Wine made you a best new restaurant for this year. And that is a heck of a group in, in there. Like every one of these restaurants, I'm just um, looking at there, like want to eat there, there, there. And uh, and an eater also puts you on their their list of, yeah. of best restaurants. <laughs> and you, you know, uh, eater. I only started reading about eater after I came to America, actually. Mm-hmm. But food and wine, I've been uh, reading since the time I was in uh, Asia. I was in uh, Singapore when I started okay. reading food and wine, and it was always a dream to be in that list. Oh my goodness! So, and I never knew that it was possible. Yeah, for an ethnic restaurant to be on that list, and especially uh, Indian restaurant, and. It was a big challenge, and uh, it was a, it was more of a it was a very um, amazing moment to win that award. You know, it is something that you always pursue that you wanted to, and it never happened. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you get this thing, and you are there on the list. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll say it's it's a fault in not in the restaurants. It's a fault in the uh, sort of the the food media and that kind of system that restaurants that are that are like this haven't been rewarded before because you've been doing the quality thing all along, and there were just some you know upsetting and systemic barriers that kept people from like putting it on the list. There was sort of this like very Eurocentric fine dining uh, <laughs> kind of thing. Those restaurants get rewarded in a really particular way. And and I'm really glad it feels like. And uh, tell me what you think about this. Do you think that the valuation is changing um, some of that? Like that people are finally realizing like what you've been offering this whole damn time. I I think what is happening is is that people are now accepting every kind of a food. Mm-hmm. Like we. We, we are a neighborhood restaurant. We always call ourselves as a neighborhood mm-hmm. restaurant. We are all about community. What is there? Um, like, um, just to give you an example, like uh, we serve a selection of beers over there. Mm-hmm. But every beer that we served is either from Queens or Brooklyn. I love that. <laughs> no, there is no commercialized beer. Yeah. It's all about, and literally everything that we buy in Long Island City is one mile, radi- 1.3 mile radius. That's it. So you're you're very much doing the the very Brooklyn hipster thing in some ways, it, but doing it from a really like a real point of view. You you know, it, <laughs> I I think we generally give terms to things that we yeah. do, but it is it is what we do for each other. Yeah, it's all about that. It's all about community. The more the community mm-hmm. gets stronger, the more we are going to get stronger. And you know, and, and I'm I kidding think, when I said Brooklyn hipster, no, no, by no, the way. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think what has also happened is now the mm-hmm. times are changing. Uh, earlier when and if you rate a restaurant as the top 10 restaurant in the country, mm-hmm. which is a most prestigious thing for people to be, uh, 
people would expect to walk into a restaurant which has got a huge chandelier, the most mm-hmm. expensive wine glasses, the most elaborate of the settings and everything. But I think over a period of time, it is now turning to all about what you are giving as a food. What is mm-hmm. your product? What is your thought behind it? What is the integrity of your dish? What is the integrity of the restaurant? It's all about that. Mm-hmm. So I think things are changing now. That makes me really happy. And I hope this is, you know, I get, I get worried sometimes that you'll see lists, uh, you know, in various years from various organizations. And there'll be one year where you think like, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's gonna, finally going to turn around. And then, you know, the next year, it's sort of more of the same. I, I sort of feel like we've finally reached a point where like this is just what it is it's not there's no going back from this and I think that's the best possible thing in the world I, you know I get I get tired of those dining rooms the ones with, with I mean the chandeliers like I like a certain amount of fuss sometimes like that's a really fun thing to like go out to one of those the white tablecloth kind of places where you sort of know what's going to happen and there are the you know, mother sauces and all that kind of stuff but it's not what I want to eat every day and yeah and you know at the end of the day what do we crave when we yeah. are uncomfortable, we want comfort food. Mm-hmm. When we are not feeling well, we want comfort food. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we are focusing on. Yeah, We literally, all the things that we do at Adda is all home style. And we call it as uncommercialized Indian food. or a, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's simple food that you'll get. It is nothing extraordinary. It's just simple food done in 100% integrity. So it's it's interesting. So most of the Indian food that I've had throughout my life, it's funny. My my dad, I grew up in northern Kentucky, um, outside of Cincinnati, and I and I, I think I've told the story before, but um, my dad, I remember I was I was really little. We came, I came home from church. He was cooking, and the house smelled different than it ever had before. And I was like, "What the heck is happening?" Like it was just all of a sudden like what is this incredible thing that's happening? Because I was really used to, you know, casseroles and stuff. He had gotten Mother Joffrey's uh, invitation to Indian cooking and was experimenting with some dishes and he'd gone out and like located all the spices and things like that. And I I would say it was like that moment in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to color. I was like, okay, you know, food can be so much more than than this stuff. And and he and I would seek out restaurants that we would, um, like in Cincinnati where, um, you know, they, they sort of weren't big. They were... You know, had to sort of drive around to find them before the internet <laughs> in, in the like late '80s, and uh, but it was our, our sort of bonding uh, thing. But it was, you know, it, but it, it, it's it's weird that it became my comfort food. But this all goes to say that most of the Indian food that I've had is, is very Americanized Indian food. Um, and there's the New York Indian food, the you know, the very particular like uh, British Indian food too. So then the thing you are doing though is home dishes from India, so far as I understand. Can you talk a little bit more about what that... Yeah, so, you know, I've been... I'm very young in this country. I've been Mm -hmm. here for six years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the third city that I'm actually cooking in. Wow, okay. So I started off with Cleveland, which is close to Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then then I moved to Atlanta, and then I moved to New York City. And in midst of that, I... I, The only thing I've done in my entire life is cook Indian food. Mm -hmm. So I've been cooking for approximately between 18 to 20 years roughly, mm-hmm. just cooking Indian food, doing some stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, research on Indian food, a background like in India. Then I moved mm-hmm. to Singapore and uh, then I came to U.S. Uh, I actually was uh, very, uh, very, uh, it's a very harsh word, but I was very frustrated with the kind of Indian food mm-hmm. that I saw in the country. Yeah. And I couldn't understand the reason behind it, why it was like this, because I, I I was in India, I moved to Singapore. Singapore has a good like quality of Indian food, 
move here and this is the biggest market in the world and you didn't have the right kind of Indian food. Right. And what was shown was a very poor picture of Indian food. And it affected me a lot as a person to understand why it was happening. So it mm -hmm. took me a lot of time to understand. And it's a entire thing I've, you know, done a study on why Indian food is so bad over here. Oh, yeah, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it will take a lot of time, obviously. But, but yeah, and, and I had to understand exactly, like, what are the reasons? And I had to break it down entirely. And I realized what was the reason. And so, and, you know, I, when we were opening up this restaurant, the only, the only thing that I told you know, my business partner is that, you know, we need to be very true to what we are doing. We are not going to go halfway. Mm -hmm. We'll go the way it is supposed to be. Yes. It might backfire. It might work. We don't know yet. But that was the commitment we had to each other that, you know, like we have to at least deliver what we feel will be the right kind of a mm -hmm. approach that we give to the Indian food. Like one of the biggest problems I find in restaurants over years, even when I just go out to eat an Indian restaurant, I'll say I want this dish and they'll ask me, what spice level do you want? It just doesn't happen anywhere in India. Mm -hmm. You understand? Like It's like saying I go to my mother and say my mother says, oh, your food is ready. Do I even say it? I want six spice level, seven spice level. <laughs> I just eat what is made. That's how you eat it. Right. So one of the things in our restaurant, actually people initially used to get offended is they would come and say, I wanted medium spice. And we would say, we, would, we don't do it. Yeah. And the biggest problem they had is like everybody does it. And I said, like, we are trying to do something that we believe in as a product. You understand what we believe we are giving you at 100%. If you are trying, asking us to adjust something, it might be not something that we believe in. I think, so have you, I mean, that, is, that is a brave decision to make as a, uh, a business person to potentially alienate consumers. And that's why I, I love that you have stuck with it and gotten rewarded for it. And it's also part of the reason that uh, we were saying, like, I hadn't come in yet. And it's not because of the spices, because I have so many dietary restrictions. Um, and I was so afraid to have you compromise anything about a dish to uh, go with, you know, what I can and can't eat. But right before we got on air, he said, if you tell us in advance. No, so <laughs> So what happens is a lot of customers come to us mm -hmm. and uh, it's 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 actually across the board for mm -hmm. all our restaurants. We yeah. have two right now. We are in phase of opening the third one. But yeah. as what happens is we are here to deliver an experience to all the people who are coming to us. Mm -hmm. We are basically giving you a food, which is a product, yeah. which is a service. Now, it is my job that I give you what you are looking for. But if somebody walks in at the same point of time and will ask me to make something, I cannot assure you 100% right. that I'll give you right. But what we inform all, like there are customers who will come and ask us dishes off the menu or with the dietary restrictions. What we do is we give them our business card and say, next time you want to come, give us two mm -hmm. days notice. What happens is we understand that there might be like multiple dietary restrictions. I have certain dietary restrictions. Mm -hmm. You understand? So I we obviously respect that and we look at how we can replace the ingredients mm -hmm. which are not in your diet with something that could be in the same flavor profile and you can still enjoy the dish. But you need to give us a two days notice at least, minimum. Yeah, thank you. That's, that is really fair and I, I will be in soon. Because <laughs> the thing is, I, you know, I've been so hesitant to go out to restaurants because I, I, I feel bad asking people to adapt things. But I've heard such amazing things about your flavor and about the, uh, you know, I was, I was talking with our editor-in-chief, um, Hunter Lewis, before this. And he was talking about the capsaicin rush and stuff. And he uh, asked me to ask you about the, the emotional aspects of that, like this wonderful euphoria that happens with, with the spices. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people are very used to it. It's not a thing, but for somebody who doesn't eat that food a lot, it's got to be a tremendous emotional experience that you see some of your customers going through. 
you you know like i i think one of the biggest compliments that i feel we get is when people say that this reminds them of india that's so beautiful yeah you know like at the end of the day what are we what are we uh, cooking for mm-hmm. to remind people of that particular nostalgia yeah. you know it's all yeah. about nostalgia it's it's small things which is about nostalgia and when people eat that and say that it reminds them of india that's yeah. a victory in itself do you see it, people, cr- people cry in the dining room like having that moment I have not seen anyone. <laughs> but yeah, people do get emotional. You know, yeah. people do get emotional. People uh, do feel very, uh, you know, they, they feel something good about it. That's, yeah. that's very important, you know. And at the end of the day, like, and as I say always, that we are here as a, we are just a medium to deliver to people. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, everybody in this world comes, has a life to de- do something. Our medium is to deliver food to people, the experiences to people and get them back to the country <laughs> you know yeah. just make them feel like that that's really lovely and i mean and that's something that i've definitely heard from people who are very much stuck to their guns on making the dishes that they want to and um again that can be you know a scary thing as a business person because you know uh, there's that the danny meyer school of thought that you <laughs> uh, you you adapt you bend you twist and you know and i respect that in a lot of ways but it, at the same time then what does it become if, if it's, you know, I go out to a restaurant to get things that I can't or don't make at home. <laughs> and, you know, and I think if I do have to ask people to adapt things, it's it's specifically so I can eat them and not feel sick later. <laughs> no, you know what to answer. Like, and it's, it's, it's what you envision yourself doing. Yeah. You understand? So I, I don't say there's anything wrong in bending the rules or yeah. tweaking or something. It is what you as a person believe in, mm-hmm. what you as a professional believe in giving to the customer. Yeah. So like whenever we do a restaurant, we give a, a vision to us, a line which defines it. So when we were doing Rahi, the line that was in front of us mm-hmm. or to anything that we were doing at Rahi was reimagining Indian food. Mm-hmm. So anything that we are doing, we cannot, like if this was the particular Indian, we cannot give you in the same way. It has to be reimagined. That was the mm-hmm. entire concept. When we opened up Adda, the entire vision, there was only one line in front of us, quality and affordable Indian food. It had to be quality driven, ingredient driven, and it had to be affordable. So it was not something where people would come and break a bank and mm-hmm. go home. It is something where it, you know, today, if you want to go to, let's say, 11 Madison Park, one of mm-hmm. the best restaurants in the world, you plan ahead. Oh, you have to plan <laughs> a budget. Yes. You have to plan a budget. You have to say it's a $500 meal with wines and everything. Mm-hmm. And you you just cannot randomly wake up one day and say, I'm going to 11 Madison Park. But at Adda, our vision was somebody should just get up in the morning at lunchtime. He says, oh, I want to go for dinner. Where? Mm-hmm. Let's go to Adda. That's it. Well, can they get in now that you're we've won the I'm sure, I'm sure they can, they can. No. So but that's what I'm saying. It is it is about people just have to people don't have to think it. It's something where it's quality and it's affordable. People mm-hmm. should get a good experience at a good value for money. A lot of people think that we were geniuses, that we pick up a location in Long Island City. And actually it was not that we were genius, it is just that the rent was less. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> So the entire concept of the restaurant was affordable. So when we actually started working on the restaurant, the first thing we did was we did a menu draft and we did the pricing. Mm -hmm. So the vision was clear. It had to be a very affordable Mm -hmm. restaurant with quality-driven food. When we did the pricing, we realized that if we open up in New York City, Manhattan somewhere, we won't survive. And then we started looking at other places and that's how we decided on Long Island City because we could afford the pricing that we wanted to give to the customer with the rent that we were paying. 
And that it and that had to be a change of vision from your original place, which West Village, right? There. No, again, and that's why I'm saying that every concept that yeah, we do has to have a vision to it. You understand? So West Village Place is all about reimagining Indian food. Mm-hmm. It was looking at local ingredients, mm-hmm. putting it in a newer way, in a nice, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a nice setting. It's in a different way. Mm-hmm. This was quality and affordable Indian food. We are opposite LaGuardia College. If you are a LaGuardia student, you come and show us a LaGuardia I-card, you get a main course with a portion of rice, a main course portion, which is normally priced in restaurant at like for lunch, it's priced at $10. For dinner, it's $19. You get at $7 including tax. Whoa. Only if you're a student at LaGuardia. That's it. Only LaGuardia. No else. No one else. Oh, my goodness. You must have a regular stream. With- yeah, we, we, humongous amount. Of, and see, and I'll explain you why we start. It was not in the original plan to do it. But when we were building out the restaurant, we would be there with our team and we couldn't find a place to eat a decent lunch over there. So there's a 7-Eleven, there are other places which are serving you frozen stuff heated up in microwave. Mm-hmm. And we felt that, you know, we are in a community and students are there. Let them be accessible to something which is good food. Why not? And we just thought that this is the base price we can serve something at and we started serving it. Oh, that, and that makes me really happy. I wish uh, been more of that around when I was a <laughs> college student. So I, I want to go back to, you said it's reimagined Indian food. That means there was an original imagining of it. Uh, India is massive. So how did you hone in on the kinds of dishes that you wanted to do? Um, because it, it, it's so... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, because, so, I mean, India is, is so massive and it's got such particular regional identities to it. So how did you do the sorting process of the kind of food that you wanted to represent and then reimagine? Got it. So uh, reimagining of the food happens at Rahi. Uh, the word Rahi literally means a traveler. Mm-hmm. So... That's the entire concept. It's about a traveling and it's all about the travels that we as people have done as a company heads uh, that we have traveled across India. It's about our memories. What we do is we take a specific recipe. We, we boil down as to this is the recipe. Mm-hmm. Now we start dissecting the flavors of it as to what are the spices, what is the main ingredient, what is what and everything. Then we look at a, ingredients which are locally available which can substitute each of the flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. And then we come up with a new recipe. And the rule is that when you look at it, it might look something new. But when you close your eyes and you eat it, you should get the same flavors. Okay. You understand? So, and obviously there are multiple examples for that. But it is basically that when you eat it, by closing your eyes, you you should feel you're eating Indian food. You are not eating any food which is not Indian. That is is the key Mm -hmm. to it. So any dish, and on an average, on an average at Rai, each dish on an average takes three, three and a half months before it, we even launch it. So you'll th- you'll sort of think like, okay, here is the thing that I want to evoke and then here are the routes to getting it. Here's what's available, et yeah. cetera. I remember I, I interviewed um, a friend of mine, um, Vishbot, for the this podcast the day after he won the James Beard mm-hmm. Award for what he's doing. And he talked a lot about moving to the South and having to, you know, he didn't have access to 300 kinds of mangoes <laughs> moving to the South. So he had to figure out how to reinterpret things with peaches and has done, you know, a really special and amazing kind of thing and is very much does, you know, Southern food and stuff with this particular kind of thing. I imagine that there is, I mean, I know there's a, you know, massive Indian population 
in uh, New York City and markets and all that kind of stuff. Have you been able to find the things that you want to? Or if you can't find that exact thing, how do you decide what the substitute thing is going to be? So obviously we go to a lot of uh, local, uh, especially because we are in New York, we're lucky enough to go to multiple farmers market yeah. and everything. Uh, the team is very vibrant. Uh, Chef de Cuisina Tri is a phenomenal guy. Mm-hmm. He goes out, I go out, we go to multiple markets. Like I love to go to actually Hong Kong market. Oh, I love Hong Kong market. Yeah. Oh, it I is love- phenomenal. There are multiple in uh, actually Korea, uh, Korea market is also good. The Hong Kong market mm-hmm. is good. Uh, I live in Jersey, so I go to multiple okay. of those over oh, there. Oh God, Jersey's fantastic for food shopping yeah. and we are also now like it's not confirmed yet yeah uh, like we have not yet decided yet right. but our vision now is to actually outsource a farm where yes. we can actually grow our own indian vegetables grains and everything and uh, we, we are we are looking at options right now that makes all this lots of sense i have my, my i have a, a grocery store that i go to out in sunset park called phylong and it is the best, freshest, most beautiful vegetables. And I always wondered, where the heck are they getting these and who's being exploited for this? And I always sort of worried about that. And then I found out that they have their own farms or they have farmers who they have grow specifically for their crops. So there's there's actually no middleman and everybody benefits from it, the farmers and, and the store and the consumers and stuff. And the produce is incredible and it's so specific and it's it's things that is specifically grown like sort of mostly for like a Chinese clientele there but um I, I don't even know how they make it work climate wise with, with some of these particular things you but know, it's it's it, but you can taste it in the quality of the stuff yeah and see what has happened is that technology is moving so fast uh, yeah and uh, things always and that's what we we were not aware about these things mm-hmm. The more we go deeper into it is when you see other options available to you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we suddenly found this option that is an option to do this for our restaurants. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, there are certain kind of green vegetables that Indians grow or certain kind of vegetables mm-hmm. are very Indian, which can be grown. We can outsource that and grow it and, you know, have it our own thing. And we are in the midst of doing that now. You're going to be the Dan Barber of Indian food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, it's... Uh, frankly, like it, it sounds like that because I know he's growing things specifically for the flavor profiles and things that he wants for the the dishes there at uh, at Stone Barns and and at Blue Hill and is sort of playing you know around with the notion of this very agricultural specificity. I don't see why that couldn't yeah. be you. No, but obviously he's playing a lot with flavors and he, yeah. he's a he's a visionary. He comes up with mm-hmm. new things. We are looking at doing simple Indian vegetables, which mm-hmm. are which we can get it right over here. You know, it's it's the entire vision is about mm-hmm. that. And, you know, one step at a time that we want to keep on moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a group, that's our vision that we'll always keep on going, moving forward and see how mm-hmm. we keep on moving forward. You know, like we we don't want to replicate the same concept that we have done anytime. Mm-hmm. We'll always come up with something new. That's our vision. It sounds like it's this sort of hybrid of moving forward, but also looking to the past because you're looking to evoke these memories. And if I read this correctly, you went around talking to aunties (laughs) (laughs) who were going to tell you if you did it wrong. No. So what happens is when you're in India and, uh, you you know, who's like people even today ask me that, oh, like who cooks at home? It's obviously my mom and my wife. Mm. And. I can assure you, your mom will always cook better than you. Yeah. You you get the best chef in the world and ask him who cooks better, you or your mom, and it's mom. <laughs> you know, and basically what happened is that I 
there was always this sort of curiosity to go around things and everything. And Adda is all built up on that. Mm-hmm. These are all the recipes that have gone around people, talked to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been times where I have actually bribed people with alcohol just to get out what it is exactly. <laughs> You have a method for this? <laughs> no, it's not a method. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 like giving a carrot to someone. What do you, you know, like, <laughs> and there are times when people and I've actually gone to, uh, you know, most of the relatives or somebody whom mm-hmm. I know, like I go to someone's house and I taste and I'm like, Dude, this is outstanding. You know, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And they find it very, like, they find like I'm just joking because I, I was a chef and they would mm-hmm. be like, why are you asking? And I said, I would love to learn that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of the dishes, like uh, the eggplant actually at uh, Adda, I learned from my sister-in-law's mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I went, I explained her that I want to learn how you do it because there was a specific taste and that's how I picked up the recipe. And do you find people were willing to share? Were they sort of, ho- did you have to earn trust? Are they holding back a little bit? It, see, what I've realized is when it's more to do with people like, you know, aunties or people that you know or relatives that, you know, they are, they are willing to share it and everything. Mm-hmm. But when you go to people who have like small shops, you know. Yeah. When you have small shops or something here, something there. Like in India, you have a lot of food carts. Mm-hmm. And trust me, the outstanding food on the food cart. Uh, yeah. And when you want to learn from them, then you have to gain their trust. Right. They are not going to give you like, you know, they are just not going to give you on a silver platter. Yeah, take this it. is their livelihood. Yeah, that's the li- livelihood. And you have to sit with it. You have to connect with them. You have to, he has to understand you. You have to understand him. It's mm-hmm. it's both the ways. And then you pick it up how he does things and why is it done specifically. Mm-hmm. Like he would be doing something... Uh, as as a as a culinary or as a person who studies food, my job is to understand why certain thing is done in a certain way. He mm-hmm. would be doing it because he would have seen it somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I need to understand and question it why. You know, so every process has a why to it. And that's what we have to learn. So how much travel were you doing for this as you were researching? Because, uh, again... V- vast vast place yeah, <laughs> and i would uh, i would go on and off to different cities for a few days here mm-hmm. there but i think my most memorable trip was in kashmir when i went to kashmir mm-hmm. that was the best trip i did i think why is that i think it was beautiful i've i've never seen kashmir before that and the way the food was i i never imagined it is so flavorful it is so simple but it was so flavorful it was just flavorful like amazing like there was you know, there was no masking of anything over mm-hmm. there. There was no, um, there was no, uh, there was no coating of anything. It was simple, simple food. They were just cooking it, and it was just fun. And so, some of these dishes that you've picked up, have you then cooked them for the people, and what have they had to say? Like, if you've oh, re- for the same people, no, actually, no. <laughs> I'd be so, okay. You're gonna come. You're gonna arrive at the restaurant one day, and you're gonna walk in there. It's gonna be a dining room full of aunties <laughs> who are here to critique everything you have done. Uh, that that would be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I won't live up to their expectations. It's, it's, uh, that, but I think that's that is the thing. This is what keeps what drives us all is the disappointment of our relatives. And, yeah, and people <laughs> keeps us it's, going. Yeah, I don't know. I was just talking to someone, and I'm actually not allowed to cook at home. Really? Yeah, so Who doesn't let you? My wife and my mother say I okay. create a lot of mess, so I can't cook at home. <laughs> <laughs> so you cook like a restaurant chef. I don't cook, actually. The only thing I cook at home is I cook my breakfast. Oh, I, I was actually reading, you had made, uh, there was a sunny side up omelet. That you I have masala mentioned. cheese omelet. I love that. Oh, wait, could you talk to me about that? I am a breakfast obsessive. Yeah, so uh, like, you know, in growing up in India, mm-hmm. there was only one kind of cheese. 
and it's it's known as Amul cheese. So basically, Amul is the brand name. I was just reading about it today. Yeah, so Amul is the brand yeah. name, and cheese is like there's only one cheese. Yeah. I was so obsessed with Amul cheese. I think mm-hmm. the first time I would have eaten was I was like I don't know eight nine or ten something mm-hmm. like that. And I love like even today in my house yeah. there is Amul cheese always. Oh yeah, I have butter and I have Amul butter in my fridge right yeah, now. Yeah, like I love Amul butter also like. <laughs> It's it's just insane. So I, if I eat an omelet, it has to be Amul cheese omelet. That's the rule. Oh, can we talk for a second about uh, the the ads for Amul because they're not afraid to get political. Oh, they they are always political. That's the fun <laughs> part of it. Okay, can you explain it for for people who might not have heard of this? I have a friend who's obsessed, and so he he actually tagged me on Instagram today, <laughs> like to show me a new ad. But can you explain to people what Amul is? So Amul is actually a, a cooperative which is based out of a state in India called as Gujarat, mm-hmm. and it's a cooperative society which collects the milk from all the farmers, and they made it, and it's a very big thing. Like it's mm-hmm. a very big cooperative in India, and they make a lot of milk products and everything. And uh, they were the pioneer in the milk business, dairy business in India. And they made up with Amul cheese, Amul butter, Amul milk, obviously. And uh, so they have these hoardings across the country. I'm mm-hmm. from Mumbai, so there was this specific hoarding, which always is, I think, bought out by Amul or always mm-hmm. they advertise. And what they do is they come up with a very uh, sarcastic satire Yes. about a... <laughs> about a current issue or a problem. And they would put it, uh, it's not always an issue or something. It could be anything like, like if, for example, like if India wins a World Cup, then there'll be an ad about the World Cup mm-hmm. of there's something happening. It will be about that. But uh, those are like people look forward for the ads. <laughs> like it's a hoarding. It's just a hoarding somewhere. People look forward to it. I love that. I love the little girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is there a name for the for the little girl? Is she just no. yeah, a Mughal no, girl. Like she got like some secret name or something like that. But uh, that's just funny because like I, I have a friend who just kept talking about it, and uh, I, I finally went and got some of the butter, and now I just kind of always have it in my fridge. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's it's the saltiness in the butter. <laughs> yeah. I, I just it makes it just makes me really happy. So you have uh, you know you've collected all these recipes you you've you've done these things, and then you could have just rested on your laurels with the first restaurant, and we, uh, but then there's something in you that drives you to try new things, and you just mentioned that there's another thing happening now, yeah. and is it are I want to talk about being an entrepreneur and being a creative person. Is where does this come out of? Is this is it a restlessness of the mind? Is it a creativity? Is it a is it a hunger? Where how do you couch this for yourself? So what I feel is that, you know, like as a person on my own, I'm not capable of doing multiple things. Mm-hmm. You always look for a business partner or somebody mm-hmm. who basically is complimenting you. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I always say that uh, my business partner and me are two different personalities. Mm-hmm. Literally, like in literal sense, we are two different personalities, but what drives us through is our vision. Mm-hmm. So our vision and goal is same. Our way of achieving might be different. And I think what drives both of us is that both of us are restless, want to do something new. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important part. So our vision is very clear that, you know, we want to give Indian food its due in the market. Mm-hmm. What we feel is that it hasn't got its due yet. Um, we aim to create and strive for getting that for the Indian food in a right way. So what we do is we come up with newer concepts. Uh, one of the things that we want to always focus on is food, art, and technology. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the Arts. things. <laughs> yeah. I, for people who are just listening to this, I pointed at his incredible shirt that he's wearing. It's a seaweed design shirt. <laughs> 
No, no. So it's food, art, and technology, mm-hmm. and that's what like we call it fact. Okay, and <laughs> is it just something that you have? It's it's always been within you. What have you taught each other about this? And if you want to mention your business partner, <laughs> yeah. So my business partner is Ronnie Mazumdar. Like he's a, he's a very he's a fi- he actually is a more personality will be talking more than me actually. <laughs> You're I, I don't talk much. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> no, no. So uh, yeah, and that's what we do. We look at different avenues as to how we can do new things. Uh, so we are actually in a phase where in the next three months or two months we'll be opening up our third restaurant. Wow. Which will be again uh, what we do is we uh, try to. Uh, showcase different spectrums of Indian food. So like Rahi is a contemporary version of Indian mm-hmm. food. Adda is homestyle Indian food. Uh, we don't know yet the third one is going to mm-hmm. be, but it's going to be called Dhamaka. And three months is when we are opening up. But it's going to be a different kind of Indian Where food. Where is it? It's in Essex Street Market. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so we'll be, we are the anchor restaurant in the Essex Street Market. And uh, also what is happening is on the, on, on the technology side, we are working on a concept about virtual reality dining. Okay, talk to me about what that means. So, uh, you know, it's basically a virtual reality and uh, we tied up with an artist and he specializes in virtual reality, we specialize in dining and that's how the entire concept came mm-hmm. up with virtual reality dining. So what happens is basically you walk into a room, it's a dark room, you wear on your glasses, you go and sit on your table and you're transported with different scenes and there's something which will come in front of you, which you can see in a very graphical format. And it's actually food. And what happens is you don't know what you are eating. So the only thing when you, when you uh, come for this, you have to let us know your dietary restrictions. That's the only thing you have to let us know. And after you finish your meal, we give you the menu. And what's happening is like in today's world, when you go to dine, what happens as soon as the food comes to you, you start either clicking pictures or doing something. And then you look at something and your brain starts uh, accepting it as, oh, this is going to be this, this is going to be this, this is going to be this. But you have not yet tasted the food. But what happens in virtual reality world is you are in a different world, which is like a graphical world. And then you have this graphical food in front of you and you don't know what you're eating. So it could be like a spear in front of you but in a different form and you eat it, but now your brain starts working as to what you're eating and you have to start thinking about what are the flavors, what is it, what is exactly is. And the food that is served to you is connected with the scene that you are in. So let me, let me just for an example, like mm-hmm. one of the scenes is that you are sitting on a cliff in front of the sea. Yes. So just to give it out, like there's a seafood which will come to you and you'll, it will look very different and when you eat it, your mind has to gauge as to what is that with what flavors and everything. So uh, yeah. that I'm, I'm just, I'm just picturing this, and I'm for some, when you said graphical and things, I, I, my head went to graphic novels and comics <laughs> and things, and imagining what that would be like to sort of eat in a cartoon or. Yeah, we, we haven't reached that cartoon <laughs> level yet. Uh, we are creating different scenes right now. So, and again, what we do is that we did the pilot run at Rai. We created the Rai as a private dining mm-hmm. room, so we converted the back room into a lab. And uh, we did a pilot run over there. And then uh, we were in Korea for two weeks. There's an international electronics art synopsism. And we... Oh, I wondered what you were doing in Korea when we were trying to schedule this. And they said <laughs> you were at a tech thing. And Yeah, so we, we, uh, so we were shortlisted to show this concept over there. Mm-hmm. And we showed it. Again, so what happens is the beauty of the food is that when we are here at Rahi, we are doing an Indian-inspired menu. 
But when we were in Korea, we were doing a locally Korean, and we were actually in a city called as Gwangju, not even Seoul. It's the, it's a small city in the southern part of the uh, Korean uh, peninsula, and we were doing a Korean-inspired food over there with the Korean flavors. Oh, and how did people respond to this? It is, it, it's 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 a very uh, it's a very funny reaction, you know. It's a yeah. very funny like people don't expect it. It is very. Uh, I think I think the food plays a secondary part. It's the technology which mm-hmm. drives everything over here. It's it's an experience. I, I I went to Google Food Lab a couple years ago, and I was so fascinated. There there was there were some VR goggles there, and actually the particular pair I had, I got a little bit dizzy. And I think they were doing something with a coffee company, and it was amazing to see sort of where everything was was picked. But I met a guy who was uh, he'd gone through a breakup. And he found that he was especially lonely at dinner time. And so he was doing a VR project. So he was eating with other people, like by himself, but then eating with other people, other people well. and interacting. And because it, just to see him do that by himself looked fairly isolating. But in his head, he was with other people. And it was actually a really beautiful and moving experience, and especially the way that he talked about it. So I'm imagining seeing groups of people uh, coming together and would they be having the same experience it's so what happens is like uh, the maximum we have done right now is three people at a time okay and so you are in the same scene and mm-hmm. when you're all you, on the cliff <laughs> yeah so when you are in the same scene when you look around mm-hmm. it's all same but you can't see me i can't see you Oh my goodness! And so, so you know it, each other there. Oh, we are there. We are there, and uh, so we also run certain experiments when we do it. Like we'll do a group of people who know each other and sit, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a group of people who don't know each other and do that. So it's a very weird thing. The weird things happen. Like when you know that you are sitting with someone that you know, you start talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am doing this right now. I am watching this right now. But when you are in front of people who have not, who don't know each other, they don't even talk to each other. Oh my goodness. But I, you're sharing that really visceral experience, though. That's really yeah. It's and it's fun because I think what was happening is a lot of people have done the VR thing, but it is more to do with uh, nobody was serving food. We are actually giving you food. You are eating food. <laughs> you are literally yeah. eating food as you are experience, experiencing this. So this way, do you not have to have as much concern with what the food looks like because it's enhanced in a particular like what what are you what does the food look like when you have the the apparatus on? It's it's graphic. I can manipulate it. We can manipulate oh, it. Oh, wow. So it can look anything. Like, I'll give an okay. example. One of the funniest things happened is that uh, when we were in Korea, one of the things was a dish which had like a nori seaweed on it. And mm-hmm. as a dish, the real dish. And the graphical alignment of it was like a thing with a black, because it represents nori seaweed, a black thing going around. One of the guests uh, said, I can't eat this. It's black in color. But I said, you can't see. And she didn't eat it. And mm-hmm. I asked her, why didn't you eat it? She says it was black in color. That's why. But I said, you were in a world which is different with a different format. Mm-hmm. She says, no, my brain was not allowing me to do it. Oh, my goodness. I guess we do all of those blocks. <laughs> and it's funny. It was the only person that I came across. Like We have, we have done multiple of people doing this, mm-hmm. at least around 180 to 200 wow. people experiencing this and experimenting it. Because we are not selling the concept right now. Mm-hmm. We Whatever yeah. we did was with our own cost to understand uh, 
it works at the end what mm-hmm. has happened is we keep on growing every session we do we see what are the flaws and we keep on changing ourselves mm-hmm. so uh, very soon we'll be launching it you can buy the ticket and experience it oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> i have to do that and um, another question on that though like how do you are, are people using utensils are they eating with their hands so you cannot touch the food the food actually comes on a very specific kind of a uh, we we use the 3d molding and make mm-hmm. that equipment the food is placed on that and uh, basically you are supposed to just take it like this and do that oh <laughs> okay because i was wondering like how you would reconcile yeah. what you feel on your hand yeah. versus and well, what happens is that as soon as you do this mm-hmm. you go into the next scene okay so so wow. everything is sensor driven do you have a, a psychology background no, no it sounds like something no no we, that, we we we, so, we have, no no we have tied up with the artist who does that yeah. and we work on it very strongly to understand like how would people react to certain mm-hmm. things and everything so and we have been doing this for 6 7 months now yeah. multiple people to understand what it works and how mm-hmm. and it's very simple and you know it's common things we see like people will try to touch the food because that's the normal notion we yeah, have yeah of course so but we actually so there's a presentation before you do that we explain you exactly how mm-hmm. you are supposed to eat and enjoy the experience and everything I'm so fascinated. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 cool. It's actually very cool, you know. It's it's very cool and something new that uh, yeah, it's just something new. That's the thing. <laughs> I love that. And of course, your head is there and you're you're getting ready to open that. Is your mind on the next thing beyond that too? <laughs> Uh, we have two things right now happening <laughs> because so of course you do. Yeah. So what happens is my business partner, who's the CEO of the company, his job is to next mm-hmm. look for next two years of expansion, not me. Right. My job is to live today. I, you know, <laughs> I think this is such an interesting thing. Um, how people structure their businesses and their creative partnerships. I'm always so fascinated by that because you have to have some sort of common language that you come to together, and then figure out what kind of what your your separate tasks are, and then when you're allowed to cross over, and when when you aren't. So when you are at your restaurant you're in the kitchen are you so are you strictly the food person or are do you intersect uh you know some with you know the the front of house what is what is your role at my, a restaurant my my job is more operationally obviously kitchen is the main focus mm-hmm. but operationally i have to look after everything mm-hmm. so anything in terms of you know like uh the uh, like between two restaurants if something needs to be aligned or something front of the house mm-hmm. back of the house the guest experience mm-hmm. my focus is all about guest experience my focus is about making sure 100% of the guests who walk in walk out happy how did you learn this I've just been doing restaurants all my life. That's it. So how did like I'm I'm always curious about people's paths through restaurants. Like if you like what is that first experience at a restaurant or or something when you you made you think like huh maybe this thing is for me so i i come from india obviously and uh, we have a very different structure where we have to study a lot for mm-hmm. everything that we want to do so mm-hmm. uh, i did my diploma in hotel management mm-hmm. and uh, then obviously you start applying for jobs and i was lucky enough to be picked up by one of the best hotel chains in the world when i say and genuinely like you can google obra hotels they are like multiple times voted as the one of the best hotels in the world mm. not in india like in world like humongous amount what of what's it called obra hotels o b r y you just put hotel chains in india it might come up first mm-hmm. or second and obra hotels has a in house management school oh wow uh, the best part about the management school is if you get selected for that they pay you money to come and study there 
Oh my goodness. So they pay you money, they take care of your housing, food, everything. Your job is to only get go there and study as to their standards and everything. So I think what has happened is these standards are so high in Oberhof. As there is it is like Uh, like if i have to say something which is pinnacle of service driven industry that's obra hotels and what i'm i i learned from them i worked with them for the longest yeah. time so it's inculcated in me it's all about customers for them it's all about customers so their thing is purely customer focused have you kept in touch with them and do they know what you've done No, I'm very bad with that. Actually, I'll be honest. So I'm not uh, like. I think I, they should know. They should be. They'd be so proud. No, no. It's it's a big company. It's a yeah. big public limited company. Obviously, it's right. not. It's run by a family. It's it's. But it's not an individually owned company. It's mm-hmm. like we are a small company. So mm-hmm. I know if somebody working with me, I personally know him. But this is like a big company, which is a like billion dollar, two yeah. billion dollar company. Profession. They have like thirty, thirty five hotels and just a small part of it <laughs> and. Uh, Uh, yeah, I left them in two thousand eight, and then I moved to Singapore. I was mm-hmm. a chef partner over there in a restaurant. Oh, and the restaurant, restaurant and bar culture there is is so tremendously huge. I was just at Tales of the Cocktail, and there was a bar in Singapore that was. I think they had something like sixteen hundred different kinds of gin or something. It was voted like best bar in the world. Yeah, it's, it's a very vibrant yeah. market. It's a phenomenal market. I think uh, and super high end, super high end, super expensive, super high, and you know like. Uh, like I love to drink wines, mm-hmm. and uh, the wines in Singapore are so expensive. Ah. So when I moved to America first, I was like, "Wow, I can drink as many <laughs> wines, whatever wines I want. It's so good. It's not so expensive, you know." But uh, it's so far. But it's a very expensive market. It's a, it's a very luxury driven market. Mm-hmm. It's got a humongous potential. Uh, I think best brands in the Asia and at least in the world are now going to Singapore or to Hong Kong. Yeah. To set up the shop. Well, and I'm thinking Singapore is so interesting to me because there is, you know, the the, the sort of stall and hawker culture, and then there's a the very high end. What's the middle like? Actually, there's no middle over there. <laughs> it's funny, and I mean, there are obviously restaurants which are middle ground and everything, but uh, I think the consistently the quality of food across mm-hmm. everything is phenomenal. Yeah. So whether it's a low end food or a mid range food or a hand food, the mm-hmm. food is consistently good over there. Obviously, the pricings are different and everything. The hawker stalls are outstanding. Oh, the, yeah. I it's one of those on the list yeah. <laughs> of things I have. You to. have to try the chili crab over there. Oh my god, I've had versions of chili crab, but I feel like I won't have really had it until I. No, no. You, I, I've had versions of chili crab before that, and uh, when I went to Singapore, it was something different. Ah, uh, now I'm kicking myself. Uh, the airline that I like to fly just had a, a sort of flash sale about like use X amount of miles and get to Singapore like really easily, and now I'm kicking myself for not have. <laughs> not it was sort of between that and Seoul, and then I missed the window for both of those, and I'm just so mad at myself for for doing that. But I will, I will get there. Um, so you, I'm, I'm always interested culturally. Um, Different places. Uh, I know here, if somebody says to their family, "You know, I think I'm going to be a chef," the family may or very much may not be happy that their kid wants to go and be a chef. Um, you came about it from very hardcore studying for it in a hotel program and things. But what is your what does your family think about what you have decided to do with your life? I, I think they were pretty comfortable with everything, and actually, I come from a vegetarian background. So our mm-hmm. family is a we in India. You have a huge sect of people who only eat vegetarian mm-hmm. food, and I'm from one of them. Mm-hmm. So we still don't cook non-veg food at home. Mm-hmm. And for me, I started eating non-veg food when I was cool. And my parents were never like mm-hmm. you know very strict. Like oh, you have to only do this. You know mm-hmm. they were like whatever you want to do, 
be conscious about it, yeah. be responsible about it and do it. Yeah. It is your call. <laughs> what was that process like uh, for you? Was it something you'd been curious about and then adapted because you wanted to or out of convenience or I'm just, I, I'm just curious, you know, I had only had, you know, like seven years as a vegetarian and it was not for any particular reason. I was in art school and I think I liked a boy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the process to going back to eating meat was strangely emotional for me. No, so for me, what happened is I was I was actually with a friend I still remember, and he had a, like everybody got tiffin box in the school, and I was so I ate something from him. And I loved it. I said, "Wow, mm -hmm. this is great!" And I kept on eating. And after I finished, <laughs> he says, "You know what you ate?" And I said, "What?" He says, "Chicken." I said, "Are you sure?" He wow. says, "Yeah, you had chicken." And he knew obviously I was vegetarian, and I said, "No, but it was good," you know. So I went back home and I told my mother, "You know, something wrong happened today." She says, "What happened?" And I said, "You know, I ate chicken by mistake, but I loved eating it." She mm -hmm. says, "Did you like it?" She, I said, yes. She says, okay, if you want to eat it, you should be conscious mm -hmm. about it and eat it. And it was very simple about it. it was the, I thought it might be a huge you and cry person. <laughs> <laughs> I like your family. I think, have they uh, eaten at your restaurants? I actually, my mother at Rahi, no. Actually, I, I don't <laughs> prefer them coming to my restaurants. That's why my wife has only been there once. Actually, only once. Wow. Okay. I, I no. I I understand it. Like uh, you know, I I wrote a book that my parents have not read, and I I I, 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 don't know, it. I, I a lot of people ask me, but I get. I don't know. It sounds. I just. It feels weird. That's why. Oh, nope. I totally, I understand that. <laughs> you know, I, I love how thoughtful you are about all of these things. Um, I want to talk about <clears throat> when you have a vision and you are at the head of a company and restaurants take a lot of people and you have to communicate the vision to the people who work for you and make sure that they're executing it the way that, that you want it done. And you set up a culture from the top. So how have you learned to, uh, you know, the restaurants you've been working at, you know, you built them from scratch. How do you develop a culture starting out? And then how do you replicate that at another one or make it slightly different according to what the place is? You know, it's, it's a, so I have a very simple philosophy, you know, like a lot of people would like to take superstars in their team. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't like, taking people who are like superstars. Mm -hmm. I actually like to work with people who have a phenomenal attitude in life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like people who want to do something in their life. They might not have knowledge for it. Trust me. Nobody is mm -hmm. born with the knowledge to do things and everything, you know. So for me, it is very clear. If I'm comfortable about a person that, you know, I can communicate with him. He can learn things from me. I can learn things from him. Mm -hmm. That's how we recruit the people and that's how we keep on building the team. Like... Uh, like Rahi is around two years and two months old. And I would say 70% of the staff has been there. From opening, we have two, three people who are still there. Rest of the people joined us after like one month, two months, three months. Mm -hmm. They are still working with us. How many years? When, when did you open? Rahi is two years, two months and mm -hmm. 11 days. That's some good retention. It, touch wood, touch wood. We, and I, I love that you knew to the day. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's May 11, 2017 as yeah. Rahi, September 12, 2018 as Adda. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But see, what happens is that it is exactly what you believe in as a group, as mm -hmm. a vision that you have for your team. Mm -hmm. And I always feel that when a person quits you, he's not quitting a company, he's quitting a leader. You never quit a job because you don't like that company. You quit a job because when you don't like a leader that is working with you or a person mm -hmm. that you are 
working with you quit that person basically you're not quitting a company company was always the same it will always remain the same or the organization still remains the same you quit a individual that you are working with because you feel like you don't align with his vision and our job is only to align with the entire team's vision and what our vision is we have to inform them <laughs> like one of the things at adda like uh, a lot of people will ask us oh it's a very uh, the service is phenomenal you know like and everything and i say you know what uh, genuinely um, if you ask me what are our service standards i say there are no service standards there's only one brief we give to our team who works at adda that every guest who walks in is a friend who has walked into your house treat him like that that's it that's the that's the entire uh focus for service over there that's it so they will chat with you they'll be friendly with you like it's just that we co- you just communicate with them at a personal level that's what adda is all about and how do you hire for that when you're going through that uh pe- so people do you find ever that the people who've been your regulars want to come and work for you how do you, how do you attract the kind of people who you want to work in your places what happens is you have to work with them for some time to pick them up and you'll mm-hmm. find within a week 10 days that whether this person fits your profile or he doesn't mm-hmm. fit and we we are very open about it if we don't gel along with someone or someone we feel will not be right fit for the company we just say you know like it's just not working it's mm-hmm. you might not be the fit for this profile you know we are looking for someone else do you have a test uh, phase like a honeymoon phase during which either one of you can pull the no, ball no obviously don't have a phase or anything well like i didn't know, like, some places will sort of hire people on a trial basis like do you have any no, so what that? we do is we have a 3 day training and okay. then we keep the person and obviously it's not that we just say to him like we just say that you know maybe it's not working we have certain service mm-hmm. standards you don't align with those you know like it just doesn't work for what our vision mm-hmm. is yeah so have you ever tried anything at either of these restaurants and you know put effort into it and it didn't work every time okay a lot you, of time. so we're uh, we're starting to ask people a lot about sort of uh, moments of failure and what you learned from them can, my 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 life is all about failure trust <laughs> me can you um can you share like a story in particular like if you can think of a dish or something like that that you you tried it didn't work and how you came back from that or what you learned like <clears throat> you know there actually there are lots and lots of dishes <laughs> and see what happens is like and i always say that that you a lot of um, as chefs what happens is when we make a dish we are emotionally attached to it yeah and if i give this dish to someone for example and the person eats like you come as a guest to mm-hmm. any of a restaurant and i give this dish to you eat it and you say mm-hmm. you didn't like it the first reaction is that the person doesn't like me yeah <laughs> Yeah that is a normal notion people say oh why doesn't he like my dish and everything but what i feel is that as a individual who's coming to my restaurant and paying money to eat something he has all the rights in this world to say whether he like the dish or not so mm-hmm. it's not that you are saying you don't like me you don't mm-hmm. like the dish and the only few things we can do is i can tweak it I, obviously like let's let's give an example if i make a dish and out of 100 people eating it one person says that it's not good mm-hmm. then you know i i can talk to him and say that oh maybe you know but if out of 100 say 30 people or 40 people 35 people say it's not good it's not good trust me right. <laughs> it is not good there's something drastically yeah. wrong with it and i have to either rework on the dish or think about it as a different concept and relaunch it in a different way yeah so that's how i look at every dish and then was there a moment that you realized at either one of the places like this is working oh my gosh this thing is really going to happen 
like Adda is the prime example of it. <laughs> Still remember, it was like the second day, and it was a September. And genuinely, like if you walk on that uh, where Adda is located, there's nothing over there. There's only mm-hmm. one place which has light in that vicinity. That's us. Mm-hmm. Nothing has light over there <laughs> except Seven Eleven and us. We and nobody walks there. The funniest part is the cars zoom past at like 40, 50 miles per hour. There's nothing over there. And me and my business partner were standing outside and thinking like, he's asking me, do you think this will work? <laughs> and I said, you know what, like we can break even over here. Don't worry, we'll not lose money, but we'll break even. Mm-hmm. We'll do some deliveries. We'll, you know, cope up with and try to see what happens. And I said, let's let's look at it. It's an opportunity we have. We can have a look at it. Let's give us a few months and touch what it worked. And mm-hmm. you know things like I'll give you things like code brains. Nobody was doing it, mm-hmm. and we were not even sure it will work or not mm-hmm. work. And it just works. Yeah, we actually now don't find code brains in the market. It is. Is everybody using them up now? Or yeah, <gasps> I I have a guy upstate with a, with a goat farm. If you oh, ever wow. need anything, yeah, I'll surely take the contact. <laughs> I will happily no, give no, you. It's, it's away. So <laughs> the funniest part about the goat brain is that. None of the big wholesalers have it. Yeah. So no big wholesalers keep because they don't even know there's a product like Goat Brain. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we started going to local uh, butcheries in Queens yeah. and Jacksonite and everywhere and picking up like we'll get small small portions. We would pick mm-hmm. it up. So the first time we went, everybody's saying, "Yeah, we have so many. We have so many." And yeah. after two three months, when people started writing about it, I think every restaurant started putting Goat Brains on the menu. <laughs> so now we actually have to pay a premium. Like we. Pay a premium to just so we have to go yeah. to so we go to actually go to vendors and inform them that anything you get we give you a premium money don't give it to anyone we'll just come once or twice mm-hmm. a week we'll pick it up. That makes sense because I mean it's it's I've seen this happen with ingredients where all of a sudden it becomes commodified by the media or something and and it's out of control and then the people who for a lot of these things are you know, poor people food and all of a sudden hey look you know it's not cheap anymore and, and and people can't have it oxtails i remember when the price of that went up um collard greens all of all of these things yeah, even even for that matter yeah. quinoa quinoa yeah. oh one, yes quinoa at one point of time i still remember i was in singapore when this is the first time i started using quinoa it was like a 40 lb bag and i used to pay uh, singapore 35 dollars yeah. by the time i left singapore this was 2010 mm-hmm. 2013 i left The same forty-pound bag was ninety dollars. Oh my goodness! And yeah. the conditions in which it has to be grown now are pretty dire as, yeah. as well. And it's it's so funny. Like it was a product which nobody wanted to buy, and yeah. then it became a rage altogether. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about goat brains is goat. Every goat has one, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it's not like anybody's going to be killing the goats just for the brains. So no. it's. I think it's. I and I always think. Of using Ofo, I love Ofo, and I'm always so grateful to find other ways to use it because it's something that, you know, it happens. If you're going to be eating the other thing, I feel like you almost have a responsibility to use all the the different parts of it. Yeah, and, and see, we come from a country where everything, like most of our meat, whenever we cook the meat, was yeah. always with the bone. Yeah. So in fact, at Adda, we try to do that. That everything try to do, we try to do it bone in. Yeah. With the bones in, because that's where the real flavor comes in from. Yeah, and the thing is, I love goat dishes, and I <laughs> sort of appreciate the task of like picking it off the bone, like while I'm e- while I'm eating something. And I remember the first time I did that, I was kind of like, oh, really? And then I was like, oh no, this is just part of the process of it. It's, it's the fun of it. <laughs> yeah, and I I totally agree with you because I like knowing where my food comes from. Like I think that's that's part of the thing is like knowing where it's connected and taking responsibility for it. Yeah. And are there any ingredients then? 
like since you you have come here that maybe weren't part of your original canon of things that you you grew up cooking with but now have become like ah this is a thing that this ingredient really speaks to me and you're surprised you're using it but somehow it became part of what you do like an indian ingredient or? no like any kind of like an american ingredient that might have surprised you kale okay tell me <laughs> No, I, I love, I started here, like, I, I I always kept on reading about kale being a superfood and yeah. how it was a phenomenon. And I thought it was like, I never understood the concept of it. It's very hyped. <laughs> yeah, it's very hyped. And uh, then I started, uh, like, this is when I used to read about it when I was not in America. Then I came to America, I started. And I used to, I used to love the taste of kale, actually. I, yeah. still, I love it, love the taste of kale and everything. So, and uh, so Adda is more about homestead food. Yeah. And one of the dishes we have over there is a kale pakoda. Mm -hmm. Now, then a lot of people question me. Like one side, you are saying it's a home style <laughs> food. Where in India do right. we grow kale? And I said, it is not the kale. It is the dish itself, which has a story. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm selling you a pakoda. So I said, what happens is that uh, in India, it's in America, what happens is like, if I'm coming to your home, I'll call you like three, four weeks in advance. Hey, I'm free this evening. Let's mm -hmm. plan a dinner. And you'd say, yeah, come over and we'll plan like two weeks ahead, three weeks ahead. Then I come to your house. We have a good dinner. We enjoy mm -hmm. it. In India, it's different. If I'm your friend, I'll just walk in one afternoon and ring the bell. Yeah. There's no communication, <laughs> nothing. You just walk in, you just ring the bell. And what spice level would you like that? <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens is as soon as somebody comes home and it's a very normal Indian mm -hmm. thing, you come home, you sit there, so... It is a norm that, you know, anybody who's home will say, hey, come on, let's eat something. Mm -hmm. You either make tea or you make lunch mm -hmm. or something. So normally when people come during a tea time, mm -hmm. what happens is pakoda is made with chickpea flour. Mm -hmm. And pakoda is basically whatever vegetables are available at home. You use those vegetables to make a pakoda and you serve it. So it's mm -hmm. that's why you know they say the vegetable pakoda. Yeah, that's because any kind of so normally at Indian yeah. household you find onions, you find potatoes, you find uh, eggplants, spinach, you know, mm -hmm. and you just make a pakoda out of it and give it. And that's when I was doing pakoda. I said it has to be some local ingredient. It's like you are coming to someone's house, just pick up a local ingredient, yeah. and that's why we picked up kale pakoda. I love that. Yeah, because it's it's and that's that's the entire story behind it. It's you know like what do you like normally? It's very American and it's something that people mm -hmm. relate to. We buy locally grown kale. Mm -hmm. It's all about that. That makes me really happy. <laughs> and, and now that I think, sort of everyone I who I'm friends with who grew up in India, the thing that they say that we just can't and can't get right are mangoes here. Is there is there a particular thing that you if you if you go back to visit if you whatever you have to have this thing because we we're just not gonna get it right in the States. Mangoes is different. <laughs> <laughs> no, genuinely. So what yeah. happens is like... Like um, 300 kinds, right? Or yeah, hundreds. More than, more than. Yeah. Even the rice is humongous. We have different kinds of rice mm -hmm. and everything. But what happens with mangoes is like everybody has a very specific taste of mangoes. Yeah. So I, I come from Mumbai, Maharashtra, and we have this Alfonso mangoes. Mm -hmm. So Alfonso grows in an area which is in Maharashtra, and Bombay apparently is the mm -hmm. biggest market. And till date, I haven't found any yeah. taste which can come close to Alfonso. <sighs> and... What happens is that you get a lot of, uh, I think uh, there are some international rules. They cannot get mangoes from India over here. You get Australian mangoes, mm -hmm. you get uh, Mexican mangoes and everything. But it's it has got a very sour taste and everything. For in India, mm -hmm. if you are eating a mango, so you can eat a raw mango, which mm -hmm. is raw, which is sour. Then you have mangoes, which are like the ripened mangoes, and it has to be sweet. That's how you decide mm -hmm. the quality of it. Okay. And... 
across India, you have got different varieties, like humongously different varieties. Mm-hmm. Like my mother likes a very different kind of mango. I love Alfonso. Like everybody in my family likes Alfonso. My mother doesn't like that. She likes a different one, which mm-hmm. is basically that mango is called as a daseri. And the beauty of that mango is that you don't cut it. You just squeeze it and then oh. suck it out of the thing. God, that sounds like heaven. Yeah, that's outstanding mangoes. Oh my gosh. And is there a particular seasonality? Uh, Summer. Okay. Summer. So is everybody just a hankering for, like in the same way that I do for tomatoes? Like, yeah, so it's, right. it's, I think it starts by April or something, April, May, June. By the time it rains, it's done. So yeah. once it rains, you do, uh, so I think certain mangoes <laughs> come after it rains and everything. Right. So but nothing comes in winter or anything like that. Oh my gosh. Like I think by the end of summer, I'm like 85% tomato and 15% <laughs> human. So, so same kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, but yeah, there, there are those flavors that are so of a particular place where I just like, I close my eyes and I feel it. I was just in New Orleans and I was eating shrimp there. And nothing tastes like that shrimp. Yeah, so I, I totally, I think it's it's always the case. that I, I think it also adds that, uh, you know, it, how it grows over there. It's it's how the yeah. land is, how fertile it is. What's, I'm mm-hmm. talking about vegetables and fruits. And I think it goes the same for the seafood. Yeah, it, it, it meroir, as, <laughs> as they call it. So I'm just thinking, what is the next thing that you want? Like, do you consider yourself a chef, an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, do you worry about definitions like that? No, actually, I don't. Yeah. I actually, I'm, genuinely, I don't. I don't even have... Uh, and I, I I think what happens is, like, you define what you are. Mm-hmm. People can give you any terms, anything that you want to, but you define what you are, and I just don't... I, 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 I don't believe in those things. I genuinely, like I don't even have a, I even hate having a personal business card. <laughs> I just use a company business card because I think it's a waste of money, to be honest. So I don't even have my personal business cards. It's, and, you know, like you don't have to go out saying what you are or anything. You just have to believe in what you are. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I mean, there's that question that we're asked as kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? And it's it's funny to think about like what that answer was as a kid. Because I wanted to be a, a paleontologist. I wanted to be a cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever uh, get to play cricket? Do you still play? Did you ever play cricket? Oh, I, I played cricket. I played for a long time. Uh, the only time I played cricket when I was in the U.S. was in Cleveland. And then I haven't played actually. I wonder if there got to be leagues here. Oh, yeah. You mean big leagues. Yeah. Yeah, like big, they're big leagues. Except but I mean, that like, I, for, for, for like amateurs to play in. Like, yeah. So you form your team. Like when I was in Cleveland, I was playing for one team. There were multiple teams over there. I'm sure there are multiple in yeah. New Jersey. But I think what happened with Cleveland, it's a small city. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like because I live in Jersey, I come to, yeah. you spend a humongous time in traveling. In Cleveland, oh, that was the plus point. I was literally living next to where I was working. Oh so I had the extra time and then I could do other things. Over here, it gets a little difficult. What do you do during your commute? I normally listen, like I see videos. Yeah. Like it's it's such an interesting thing that sort of how you use that time when you don't have to be. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny. I like watching videos, especially on YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. and it could be anything. It could be anything like nothing. And I make it a point. I don't see videos related to my profession. I see. I was going to ask that. Yes. No, it is nothing. I, I, I So what I do is if uh, as much as possible, I try to when I have time like this, I do things which are not related to what I do as mm-hmm. work. It is something else. Like today morning, I was watching a video as to how. Uh, budget airlines work like how do they mm-hmm. make money oh yeah there are always lessons for yeah and it's a, it's a lesson as to and, and 
and you know like and these are the things which you can actually put into practice in whatever you want to do yeah you know like um, and it's a very interesting video like how they make money and what is the theory behind it and what is the entire thing behind mm. it and do you ever let your your brain turn off and just watch entertainment oh yeah <laughs> okay i have to ask this because i've started asking everybody about this cuz it's the only thing i talk about do you watch any of the marvel films I have watched I I follow everything I just haven't watched Endgame. Okay, I am at Civil War right now. Um, so no, I, no, I, I started watching from the beginning. No, I actually <laughs> I normally most of the movies till the time I would say uh I think till the time Civil War came everything I watched within first 3 days. Okay, I this is my summer project actually is I started I started watching them in the right order cuz I, I watched uh one of the I think I watched like Black Panther Deadpool and I thought like oh my gosh I have to go back and see this. So I have to ask you then who is your Marvel character? Favorite Marvel character? Yeah, or who who's the one you either they're they're your favorite or you're just like if I were a Marvel character I'd be that. Iron Man. <gasps> yes, okay. <laughs> First, this doesn't surprise me because the entrepreneurship and all that stuff. So tell me why Iron Man. No, no, he's, he's cool. I think it's it's a phenomenal. Uh, no, not not only as Iron Man, <laughs> but as a story about how Robert Downey Jr. was yeah. in the uh, like he was not in the peak of his career and how he came back at his peak of his career and everything. Yeah. And actually, I feel the entire Marvel comics, yeah. uh, the movie changed because of Iron Man. Yeah. The first Iron Man which came out and that's oh, defined yeah. everything because I think before that they had come out with Hulk. Yes. And both the movies are not done well. Yeah, it's it's really funny they stuck that last scene in on on Hulk where yeah, Tony yeah. Stark is like walking into the yeah, end. Yeah, so I think the first Hulk was with Eric Bana, which didn't do well. Yes. Then they did Edward Norton, I which just, was yeah. okay. That's yeah. where Marvel. That's where I think something happened. I think it came something like that. Yeah. And I think Marvel comics actually got revived because of Iron Man one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And yeah, I, yeah I'm like halfway through Civil War right now, and it's been really funny to watch all of the different universes come together yeah it's no no it's more fun now it's more fun now yeah actually it was my my niece is the biggest marvel fan she actually watches movie like she will force my brother she's in india obviously mm -hmm. but she forces my brother like in india what happens is the movie actually releases on friday but you have preview shows on thursday oh, so wow. she actually watches everything on thursday night or thursday like that who's her character who she loves she loves uh thor Oh, who doesn't love Thor? <laughs> I mean, Loki's getting his own show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's funny what happened. It was a birthday two days back mm -hmm. and uh, she was cutting the cake. On the cake, it was written, love you 3000. And I couldn't understand <laughs> it. So I asked my brother, why is it written, love you? And he says, you haven't seen Endgame yet. I said, no. He says, there's a thing in that which says, and that's why the cake had love you 3000. Oh my gosh. I need to see. And now there's going to be a female Thor. They just announced. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Natalie Portman, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's gone. Right, I saw it, I saw it. Yeah. Sorry to get all self-indulgent on this. It's just Marvel is the only thing I think about these days. <laughs> and I'm glad that you had an answer for that. So, <laughs> so question that I sort of like to... I, I have a few speed round questions, but a question... This is this like Oprah moment um, okay. because, you know, she, you know, she sort of introduced us all to the concept of the secret where you say something that you really, really want and you let the universe say it so the universe can give it uh, to you. What is the thing you want for yourself? I just need to be happy always. That's it. What does that look like? It's looking good right now. Good. I'm in a happy space. That makes me really happy to hear that too. And then we have our speed round questions. Okay. What's your comfort food? There's a dish called as khichdi, which is basically... Uh, it's like, it's rice and lentils, mm -hmm. and you just boil it. It's it's like, think about a congee, 
but with rice and lentils. Mm. And if you want to add vegetables, you can add that in. Or like you know, I I always was in Singapore. Everything. My parents are in Mumbai, so whenever I go home, my mother wants to cook everything good that she wants to. But the only thing I would crave when I go back home is just say to her like, make khichdi every day. That's what I want mm. to eat. That's. Love, do you make it at home? Or you're not allowed to cook at home. Does your wife cook it at home? Yeah, she makes it. And, uh, <laughs> they make it. And I love it. <laughs> what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? There's a sweet dish my mother makes, which I love to eat. And I avoid eating sweet nowadays. And she just made it for me. And she has this habit. She'll just make it. And she'll be like, oh, if you want to eat it. <laughs> and I have to eat it. What is it? It's it's a very traditional Gujarati sweet and it's like made uh, at the moment. Like it gets cooked in like 15, 20 minutes and she has this way of making it and just leaving it. It's it's very, it's known as sukhdi. You oh. wouldn't have heard of it. What's in it? So it's got, it's a, it's a very, it's a winter dish. When it's cold, you eat that. So it's got jaggery, it's got mm. flour and it's got uh, ghee, which is the clarified butter. Oh, that sounds so good. That's I it. just started learning how to cook with jaggery oh. and like learning how to break it actually was the, kind of the, the tough key to it is grated. Is that okay? So don't try to break it. Grate it. Okay, that helps a lot because I was just <laughs> driving myself nuts and they say, put it in the microwave. I don't have a microwave. No. So it was not. No, you just grate it. Trust me, it will work. Okay. Just grate it. Just take it, grate it, whatever quantity you want, just grate it and use it. The, okay, that's good because I have some sitting in my cupboard right now that I was just like, oh, I have to bust out the hammer again. <laughs> Thor's hammer onto the no. jaggery. <laughs> what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? Actually, I have... <laughs> what did I eat? Nobody cooks for chefs. <laughs> you know, actually, the last home-cooked meal I had was my business partner's father. He, they are Bengali. They are from okay. Eastern. He cooked the fish. And uh, he, his father cooks outstanding fish, the mm -hmm. Bengali food. And that's the last home-cooked... Like, not my own home-cooked food, mm -hmm. but somebody else's home-cooked food. Yeah. The last thing I had was that. And what, how was the fish done? It's a very specific way of doing fish with mustard and everything. And it's mm. a very specific fish by the name of Hilsa, which grows in eastern part of it, like which is from eastern part of India. Mm. So he manages to get it somewhere in some <laughs> Indian market and he makes it. Oh, lovely. It's so nice to be cooked for, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What living musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them? I, I'm a Bollywood guy, so I listen okay. to Hindi music and everything. Yeah. Uh, what... Which musician do you like? Um, A.R. Rahman. He's a music. He's a very famous music director. Very and, world famous. And if he came in, what would you cook for him? Whatever he likes. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> like what is this this dish that's like here? <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know what he likes to eat. Actually, uh, but whatever. Like genuinely, I, I, I'm sure he he might love to eat biryani, knowing the kind where he comes from. Mm. Oh, I hope this happens. I hope he comes in and you get yeah. to serve him. Yeah, yeah. And then, final question. You have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? Nobody's, your phone's not going off. Nobody yoga. needs anything. Yoga. Okay. And do yeah. you have a particular form of it that you do? I, I'm, I'm very bad. Like, I was good at one point. I used to do it regularly, everything. And uh, I, I just do free yoga of stretching. Surya Namaskar is something that I love to do mm -hmm. it because it's very helpful. And different asanas, you know. Oh, and one question that I've meant to start asking people, have you ever cried in the walk-in? Multiple times. Yeah. it's. A th I just want people to be comfortable with crying in the walk-in. It's a, it's a thing. <laughs> you know what? If somebody answers no to you, mm -hmm. I think 90% of the time they're lying. Because <laughs> what happens is... Uh, 
when you go to kitchen you go with a certain amount of thinking that you know everything and you're mm. going to you know rule the things over there and everything once you go there you feel like you don't know anything and everybody goes through this phase it's not only me anybody who has started you go through that phase and uh, you are you try to act so macho as to you don't want to break down in front of people so what's the only place where you go and do it it's the walk in yeah i love that <laughs> <laughs> and i just i think that is a lovely place to live <laughs> So thank you so much to our guest today. They can, okay, where can they find you on social? Uh, I think it's, uh, let's say, oh, at the uh, NYC and, and Chef, Chef Chintan. Yeah. Okay. And is that on Instagram and on Twitter or? I'm actually, I'm not a social media guy. I was forced to open that Instagram account, <laughs> so I don't use it much. But yeah, that's, that's my Instagram account. Okay. Uh, and if they want to come to your restaurants? Please, anytime I'll but, be there. Uh, so they can find you in the addresses. So the West Village. Is so uh, one is 60 Greenwich Avenue in mm -hmm. West Village. It's called as Rahi. The other one is Adda, which is 3131 mm -hmm. Thompson Avenue. And soon they will be able to find you in the virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> they won't be able to find me. That's the best part. Jentham, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Thanks a lot. And thank you to our producer, Jennifer Martnick. And thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend right Write a review or rate us those those likes, those comments, those stars that really helps us um, keep getting to do this and helps more people find the podcast. If there is something you would like for us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thanks for listening. Take good care of yourself till the next time.